fears of tripping on top. Be there! Scour the spaceways! Explore vast alien worlds! The tin right here contains the whole rigmarole. I used to smoke about an ounce of hash every day. Good. And it made me go a little bonkers. Maybe. If I occupy his mind with more duties, I can control his space. Hi. Big fat Hi. doobies. Hi. Hi. Hi, hi, hi. What's up, everybody? It's Saturday, December 17th, 2011, episode 101 of The Hot Box. My name is Matt. My name's Ian. We got a great show for you guys tonight. Uh, you guys can usually give us a call, 406-204-4687, but we got an interview tonight. Uh, we'll be talking with a gentleman from Leap. He's a former assistant attorney general, uh, Brockton, Massachusetts. Uh, his name is John Amobili. Amobili, I believe. And, uh, yeah. What uh, you were listening to earlier, we were streaming uh, a little bit of an interview of uh, John on Black Talk Radio on uh, the Blog Talk network, ne- network there. And they had a, a really interesting conversation, I thought, about the whole war on drugs thing and, and all that. So, uh, What we're going to talk about tonight, though... Is this article in the New York Times, and basically it's kind of what we've been talking about a little bit. We we touch on it here and there when it's relevant, but it's it's the whole do or does all law enforcement officials do they all like agree with the orders they're given when they have to conduct raids? And this in particular has to do with border patrol agents. Uh, basically, they they pursue these smugglers, and you know, one moment they're they're out there like busting these these people, and then the next moment they're just kind of sitting around, right, being bored, as most jobs have. You you got a little downtime, right? So, this guy, his name's Brian Gonzalez. He's a, a young agent. He made some comments to a colleague of his, and basically, it cost him his career. Now, I don't. I guess if you're a federal agent, free speech maybe doesn't so much apply to you. I I think we'll ask John if you give up any of your rights at, when you become yeah. a, a federal agent or work for the federal government. Are you, you know, are, I, and I think that's going to be one of his talking points is is the rights that you are losing in this situation, your First Amendment right, um, w- while on the job um, as a border patrol agent, and so. Um, Mr. Gonzalez uh, acknowledges saying that if marijuana were legalized, um, the drug-related violence across the border in Mexico would cease. Right. So let me set a scene for you guys. These guys are down in Deming, New Mexico, right? Mr. Gonzalez here in his green and white Border Patrol vehicle just rolls up, and there's another. uh, He just comes from the international boundary there. He pulls up next to a fellow agent that's in his, you know, Green and white border patrol vehicle, just like rolling down windows. Sup? Like, like you see Sup. the highway patrolman at the yeah, yeah. parking Parked lot of the, all the, the time. Kmart or whatever. All the time, just side by side, windows down. And he's like, you know, he, he's just frustrated. He, he's had a tough day chasing Mexicans. Those are his brothers and sisters. And he, he's just had it. He says, you know what? If marijuana were legalized, the drug related violence across the border in Mexico would cease. He added then, (laughs) he brought up an organization called Law Enforcement Against Prohibition that just so happens to uh, favor this war on drugs just ending. End it, end it, end it. 
So those remarks, along with others expressing sympathy for illegal immigrants from Mexico, which... I mean, any. I, I think that any rational person would have some, at least, at least empathy. A little for bit these, of empathy. You know, least. understanding that they're coming from a very hard life and seeking an opportunity that all of us take for granted. Especially having the last name Gonzalez. Like, I can see right. some of the more like like the Texans. It was they're Smith like, Jones. Right. They're like, like yeehaw, let's go kill some Mexicans. You know, then maybe okay, the empathy isn't going to be as, as great, but like. Mark Gonzalez. These are or these Brian are, Gonzalez. Excuse me, Brian Gonzalez. These are his kinsmen. These right. are, these are the individuals that he is a descendant of. That's right. And so he expresses a little empathy, which this article doesn't really go into detail about. Right. All that. we know is that it was him mentioning leap and that the drug related violence that they see probably more than most people. Right. How it would it would cease and. and I don't. I wouldn't say that it would completely end, because you're always going to have. If Absolutely. it's not there's about other drugs, drugs, it's about money. If it's not about money, it's about girls. If it, you know, there's guns, always, uh, gun, people, exactly, whatever, exactly. So, um, but it would decrease a, a fair amount. I Absolutely. Think. And so, uh, back to the scene where you have these two border patrol agents, windows down. It's a nice sunny day out, uh, out shooting in the, the breeze with each other by the Great Wall. <laughs> uh, Mister Mister Gonzalez says. Um, uh, what he said to the other agent apparently bothered him because he passed on um, the dialogue to the Border Patrol headquarters in Washington. Ooh, boss, you know what Brian said? Yeah. Um, he said that he doesn't like his job and that he doesn't think, he thinks marijuana should be legal. And then, you know, he totally, he walked away just feeling like a hundred bucks. Yeah, and so then our tax dollars fund an investigation, uh, which I think we'll talk to uh, uh, Mr. Amabili about, what kind of investigation would take place over a situation as such. But then he receives a termination letter that said Mr. Gonzalez held, and I quote, personal views that were contrary to the core characteristics of Border Patrol agents, which are patriotism, dedication, and esprit de corps. You will not have empathy for those that you chase down like dogs, and you will not <laughs> show any opinion <clears throat> that conflicts with the opinion of that of the federal U.S. government. Um, I did some searching today about um, you know, the standards that Border Patrol agents are held to and read a little bit about the law that governs the uh, powers that Border Patrol agents have. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I couldn't find anything that said you, you don't have the right to think or that you don't have the right to have free speech or the right to talk about important topics and also, such as drug prohibition or yeah. immigration laws. I mean, if you don't foster these discussions, how does anything ever get figured out or solved? But I also feel like you, when you're at work with people, like you know kind of after the first few weeks who and who you can and who you cannot not really confide in, but just say certain things. You know, you have your your one face for your parents and then you have your other face for at work and your third face for when you're hanging out with your friends. Like, you Some know, people have that. Some others really? just have the I, one face. Yeah. I have one face. Most have two. I'm pretty true with just about everybody around me really? at work See, and I, at home. And I, 
it's maybe maybe not like a fake, but like I have different attitudes when I'm like at work delivering water as I do like when I'm hanging out with my friends and stuff. Like there are I'm you like, really that insecure about yourself? No, no. But with with those people, I'm like you know yes sir, no sir, that kind of thing. You don't but say like, that in your normal life. Not to my friends, no. <laughs> Huh. <laughs> Not at all. You shallow piece of maybe shit. Maybe I'm getting. I don't know. Maybe you. Maybe. Maybe you know. I need some lessons and manners. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wonder if the agent that Mr. Gonzalez was speaking to would be your typical Texan. I wonder if Mark he was Jones. in his truck, like blazing down, and then saw Brian roll up. He was like, "Oh shit!" And just put it out. <laughs> right, right. Oh man, we shouldn't legalize marijuana. And, and bro. Brian just had a rough day. He's like, "Man, you know what? F this. If we, <laughs> yeah. you know." Yeah. The, and by the way, leap. Woo. <laughs> so um, and so, John, uh, the guest on our show this evening is a member of Leap, and so um, yeah, should we call him up? Yeah, we should. Right. Um, so the so the group that Mr. Gonzalez, the individual that got terminated from Border Patrol. Oh, here we go. John Amabile. Hi, John Amabile. How you doing, man? This is Matt and Ian with the Hot Box. You're live on the show right now. Yeah, hi, Matt and Ian. Uh, how are you tonight? Thanks a lot for. Uh having me on your show i appreciate it very yeah much. it's it's great to have a chance to talk with you we we have uh people from leap on every now and then when something in the in the papers comes up that we really need to, to foster a good discussion in. and it's we haven't had anyone i mean we've had some really cool people we haven't had anyone of your credentials though this is the first time we've had a a former assistant attorney general this is a, a it's a pleasure well thank you very much and i think that leap uh, has a very important uh, mission in educating people about a very important issue, which is the complete failure of drug prohibition and the need to end it and to replace it with a system of regulation outside of the criminal justice system. Absolutely. Uh, it's so. It's like I. I kind of. We had a. A few things we were talking about before we got you on, and, and mainly it was Brian Gonzalez, who was a Border Patrol member, and he mentioned to a, a colleague of his that, you know, the drug-related violence across the border in Mexico would cease if, you know, if this was legalized, if marijuana was legalized. And then he also brought up LEAP that favors ending the war on drugs, as we all know. And those remarks got him in quite a bit of trouble and cost him his job. I know. I, I'm familiar with the case, and I think it is absolutely outrageous that telling the truth gets you fired from a government job. And I know that they, uh, in his termination letter, they said that his personal views were, and this is a quote, contrary to the core characteristics of Border Patrol agents, which are patriotism, dedication, and esprit de corps and how you can characterize being truthful uh, as violating those. And, of course, those aren't, in fact, the uh, mission statement of the Border Patrol anyway. But uh, this is a really outrageous retaliation for truth-telling. And the fact of the matter is that in this country, we have the strength of the country is that people have criticized uh, laws and the legal system and cause change. And that's what makes this a great country. The greatest moral issue in the history of the country, slavery. If you went back before the Civil War, the people that spoke out against it 
the abolitionists like Frederick Douglass and William Lloyd Garrison were viewed as wild radicals. And of course now, uh, the, what they were speaking out against is universally held as evil and totally immoral. And the same, of course, is true with drug prohibition. It's the exact same thing as alcohol prohibition was from 1919 to 1933. Right, and don't, was, it, don't you think that the people that are on the front lines fighting these, these wars, if, if they have second thoughts about what's happening, you should really take that in, into consideration more so than, you know, normal citizens like myself or Ian here, because they're the people that are out there. If they're saying, look, the, this isn't what you guys are portraying on the mass media and, and in, you know, the movies, Reefer Madness and all that kind of stuff growing up through the ages, then maybe we need to foster a discussion and see what can be done differently. It seems like those are the people you absolutely should be listening to. And if you're not, then that shows us what their goals are. And it's not the, the good of the public at all. Absolutely correct. I mean, if you look at the statistics, uh, since 1971, when Richard Nixon declared war on drugs, at that time there were 38,000 people in prison on drug charges in this country. He then declared it was the most serious problem in the country. All kinds of enforcement efforts were made, mandatory sentencing, a prison build, building frenzy. And now, today, we have a trillion dollars later and over 40 million arrests later, we have 500,000 people in prison on nonviolent drug charges, 12 yeah, times as many. It's and drugs are cheaper, stronger, and more available than they ever were before. And even, so by, even in 71, when Nixon started his whole march on the war on drugs, there was a lot of research and evidence... To the contrary, and he kind of oh. had some of it burned, you know? Like, I don't know how, how true that in is. In fact, but... his, his own people had told him yep. that marijuana should be decriminalized. And we've and seen he that. that and went off on this, uh, on this, what was really a propaganda campaign. It was a political agenda. Else. It was a political so, move to get the people the, behind him. That's correct. To, uh, to, uh, it was a great way to vilify the anti-war movement yep. and the hippies who were seen as people using marijuana and LSD and things like that. And and the, we've, we've the, seen... fa the fact is, though, that this failure, and it's an unmitigated failure, and anyone in law enforcement, any credible prosecutor, any credible police officer will tell you that what we're doing right now is not working well at all. And it is not a benign failure for exactly the reason that Agent Gonzalez pointed out. It has caused a incredibly violent criminal syndicate to, uh, to support a $600 billion a year industry in supplying the illegal products to the uh, demand and the consumer demand in the United States. And that's resulted in 40,000 people being murdered in the last four years in Mexico. Yeah, it's been a bloody so, mess down there. And I've always thought of it that like, when, when the governments institute programs and, and they see that their programs are showing these massive failure rates, 
they don't usually keep throwing money and funding these programs. They put a stop to it and they try something else. The war on drugs seems to me that to be like the only program that they've instituted ever that they've just blindly gone into and with no regard for the fallout or the collateral damage or anything and they just they keep pumping money into it and it feeds this privatized prison system and it feeds this circle of you know once you get caught up in it it's really hard to get back on your feet absolutely uh, we've we've saddled millions of people with criminal records for conduct that there really is not a consensus of exactly what it is we don't like about it. And it's, it's completely hypocritical and has caused a tremendous disrespect for the legal system. When you look at it, over 100 million people in this country have admitted using illegal drugs, including the last three U.S. presidents, Obama, uh, George W. Bush, and Clinton. Yep. who start their campaigns off with their drug disclaimers, and now they are in charge of the uh, Justice Department enforcing drug laws that they themselves have violated. So that causes a tremendous disrespect for the rule of law, which is what we have to bind our country together. And it's exactly the same thing that happened during alcohol prohibition. Right. It's, it's hypocrisy. It is uh, complete lawlessness, and it is a system that has uh, been a complete and utter failure. Well, and it, and it makes you lose your trust in the government. If they're telling you marijuana is Schedule 1 and has no medical benefits, and you find out on your own that it does, you wonder what else they lie to you about. And it kind of breaks down the whole system of you know how, how things should be. Absolutely correct. And, and when you look at marijuana uh, being criminalized, where products like alcohol and tobacco, which kill numerous times more people than all of the illegal drugs combined, 25 times more people in this country are killed by tobacco than all the illegal drugs combined. And marijuana... There's not a documented case of anyone ever overdosing on marijuana or, uh, for that matter, a documented case of somebody dying from consuming marijuana, whereas there are millions of cases of people dying from alcohol and tobacco. In fact, in the next hundred years, one billion people are going to be killed by tobacco. Yep. Now, anyone that would suggest that we should criminalize tobacco should have their head examined, however. That would be a horrible way to regulate it. Right, but the thing but, is, people need that choice. You know, it's up to you if you want to go down that road or not. Right. I think, though, that if you look at the example of tobacco, it shows that you can regulate a product without criminalizing it, and you can do it effectively, which we haven't done, but we are starting to now do with tobacco. And the characteristic of that is to prohibit the seller, the person making the profit on it, from promoting the product as a social necessity. Right. So it was Leap, as, an, as a representative of Leap, I, we don't advocate using drugs and certainly understand that drugs like heroin and cocaine uh, can be very dangerous if they're abused or you become addicted to them. But the fact of the matter is that people use them 
and regulating them the way we do doesn't work at all. Right. It shouldn't be a criminal thing. We should look at the problem, the core issue, and say why are people choosing to do these things, even having them be so illegal? Well, and we've discussed a few times on the show that uh, you know a drug addiction isn't a criminal problem; it's a medical problem. Right? You don't rehabilitate someone by throwing them in a prison system and making them detox off of heroin while in jail. That is the worst possible scenario for that individual. There's there's no way you can expect full you know social rehabilitation rehabilitation in that sort of system. It's impossible. Absolutely right. And what we're seeing with tobacco is that by educating people about the true health consequences of tobacco addiction, coupled with eliminating a lot of the promotion by the industry, we've seen a a very steep decline in tobacco addiction and a sea change in people's attitudes about tobacco. It's more socially... And that's regulating it not criminally, but as a health issue. And the same would be true with all of the illegal drugs if they were regulated in a similar way, namely if adults wanted to purchase these products, they could have access to them, but there would be no promotion, no branding, no uh, advertising. Well, and the big and- the big problem we hear all the time is that it's the kids. The kids are getting hold of it. And I always think that they've been regulating or trying to regulate alcohol and tobacco for so long. Kids still get a hold of it. They find ways. But you don't turn this into criminal. What you do is find the business that sells it. You do sting operations to try to get them to sell to someone under 21, stuff like that. You don't treat it like you're an evil second-class citizen. Now you're going to go to jail. That, That doesn't fix anything at all. No, it absolutely doesn't. And again, getting back to tobacco, even with adolescents, the campaign to educate people has had an effect, and there is a decline in teen smoking, uh, which is dramatic and which is very important. The tobacco industry used to systematically target that age group uh, to get them addicted to their product. Right. And, the, and the, so the point of the matter is that although the one major fear that people have, your average citizen, about legalizing things like marijuana and other drugs is that it'll cause a huge increase in drug use. And the fact of the matter is that's not necessarily uh, correct at all. If it was properly regulated, it would actually make it much easier to control it and to uh, deal with the problem of, of substance abuse by treatment and education. And we've seen this in countries that have tried it. I know Portugal, for one, I think Switzerland or Sweden have done different things. And they see pretty much the complete opposite of what the fears here in America would be if if that type of situation were to become reality. And we no, all we have to do is, is look at them and like look, their crime rates went down, their use went down, their overdoses went down. Why are we still treating it this way? Right. I mean, in in Switzerland, where they give out free heroin to heroin addicts, uh, the overdose was eliminated, not just reduced. 
and instances of transmission of AIDS and hepatitis and things like that were right. dramatically reduced. And like you say, the crime associated with, you remove, uh, with it was dramatically reduced. You, you remove that desperateness of it. You know, you remove that whole, I have to go steal from you now to get my next fix so I can get on with my life and not, you know, be going through withdrawals or whatever. You remove that, that necessity. It's treated more like a methadone clinic where you just you go get your your dose for for the day of work and then you go to work and you're productive and you can function because you're not held captive or held hostage to the drug itself. Absolutely and, uh, correct. In, in the it's, a, oh, it's a much more effective way to regulate it. The way we're doing it now, the junkie on the street doesn't know what he's getting. He right. gets a hot load and he overdoses and kills himself. Yep. And there's a tremendous problem with that in this country. Uh, you know, but the other the other aspect of it, you look at something like heroin, you look at opium poppy production, and again, this is all a complete hypocrisy. We're in Afghanistan with military forces where they grow most of the opium poppies used to make heroin. And we, of course, our military uh, leaders understand that we can't be uh, trying to eradicate poppy production, or the or the people who we're trying to win over would hate us. Well, and what so about there's the... been there's actually been an increase in poppy production in Afghanistan since we've uh, had military forces over there. I bet. And, and but what about the pharmaceutical companies too? They get a, a fairly decent amount of their own opiate product to you know pr pr uh, synthesize and, and turn into the the pain pills that they you know then push out onto the the good people of america like a lot of that comes from there as well and and that's a a huge industry it's it's massive you can't you can't fight against that in yeah no it's absolutely correct yeah, so yeah. Uh, you know, was, drug uh, prohibition from every aspect has been a complete uh catastrophe and it does not work. And like you said earlier in the program, it's one of these policies where we keep, even though we acknowledge that it's a complete failure, we we continue to do the same thing over and over again. And that's sort of like the uh, uh, one of the definitions of insanity, yep. for say. Um, you know, I was thinking about uh, something you had just said earlier about how... Um uh, the use of marijuana, and we, we were talking about how the use of mar legalization of marijuana would limit uh, the violence on borders. There was also an article um, that was released um, from Physicians for Public Safety talking about how um, medical marijuana and the states that have it have reduced their highway deaths. So there has been less uh, uh, injury-producing traffic accidents on the highway. Um so we're seeing we're seeing like information like this come from several different angles about you know the use of cannabis or the decriminalization of cannabis how it could have a positive effect on more than one front not just criminally oh, multiple. but but also like and for this on this article's uh, uh notation calling for less uh vehicle accidents on the road um, and, and saying that marijuana has been kind of called a substitute drug for alcohol, and there isn't really any, any empirical data showing that cannabis is related to um, uh, injury-producing traffic accidents. So we have this, we have this, this system that 
um, Tells not us only to... yeah, not only demonizes yeah. uh, marijuana and other drugs, but tries to sweep under the rug some of the empirical data that has been found through studies showing the opposite. And they used to get away with that, but now we have the internet, and transparency has become such a major part of this whole movement i feel like if if we didn't have a way to communicate like that in real time they would still be getting away with it to the extent that they were you know back in the in the 60s and 70s and 80s do you think uh, and also john um I, we've talked about this on another show but um we mostly focus on cannabis or marijuana, but legalizing other drugs or decriminalizing other drugs, like you were saying, with without any advertisement or without any, you know, uh, 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 f- making these drugs kind of mystical. Not or, it. Don't push it on. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I've asked people before if, if, if heroin was legalized, would you go out and buy some? Or would you not? Because there's there's a fear that if you were to make these drugs uh, uh easier or legally or obtainable legally um, all of a sudden that, it's that, free for all yeah it would be this huge epidemic and there would right. be a bunch of new people using these drugs and it would destroy our society and I disagree with that because if heroin was legalized I, I personally wouldn't use it even if it was readily available no I mean they, they've done polling and they it, it's something like 98% of respondents have said that they would not use heroin if it was legal so that's a complete myth. Now, there is legitimately a, a concern about how a product like heroin would be uh, marketed because of the example of alcohol and tobacco, where we have allowed those industries to basically fraudulently promote what are undeniably dangerous products to, the, to children. And if you if but if you did not allow that and instead completely eliminated promotion but gave people access, adults access to these products and spent a small fraction of the amount of money we're spending on prisons and the criminal justice uh, mode, which has been over a trillion dollars in the last forty so years. Much money. If you took a tiny percent of that and dedicated it to treatment and education and didn't allow any promotion of the product, you would have a decline in heroin addiction, not an increase. Now, you know, your your emphasis on marijuana, my organization believes that all of these uh, drugs should be taken out of criminal the criminal arena and regulated as a public health issue. But when you look at marijuana, which is far and away the largest uh, consumed product here in this country. There is no rational way you can distinguish it between the legal products of alcohol and tobacco in terms of its dangerousness. There's no justification for treating it differently at all. So, you and that is a major, major reason why the whole system is not only unworkable, but also destructive. Because when you have that kind of a hypocritical approach to uh, criminal regulation, which is supposed to be founded on a consensus building uh, by people that this conduct is abhorrent, uh, then the whole system falls apart. 
And that's exactly what's happening with marijuana. Bill Clinton smoked marijuana. George W. Bush, Barack Obama. And they're now on the high, they then get on the high horse and say that uh, they want to uh, uh, criminalize people who were just unlucky and didn't get caught doing the exact same they did, same thing they did. Here in Massachusetts, we, we, uh, the voters passed a marijuana decriminalization referendum ballot question. So now in this state, if you possess less than an ounce of marijuana, it's not a criminal offense. Yeah, when that initiative was on the ballot, the county prosecutors were all were, were the vanguard of opposition to that initiative, which ended up passing by 65%, which is a landslide. But the prosecutors are the ones out there opposing it. And our Globe reporter from the Boston newspaper interviewed several of them, and they admitted they had smoked marijuana themselves when they were in college. Do you think that so that's... I'm sorry, do you think that that's because um, some of their, that it's kind of job security for them? I mean, they, they there's there's enough nonviolent drug offenses in that state that that probably helps fund some of their, their programs or it keeps, uh, you know, their buddies on staff. And you personally, know, like, who would you rather go in and raid? A bunch of like cranked out meth addicts that have guns and weapons and are willing and itching to use them or some mellow potheads that are like, it's an easier pick, you know, it. I feel like they, they, they would rather go deal with that and just like be like, oh, look, he's on the couch than like actually getting shot at, you know? Well, I'm no, just saying- that's right. And of course, you know, the, 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 well, the point you're making, though, which is legitimate, is that when you have a bureaucracy, a government bureaucracy that is, uh, that is, existing based on this regulatory system, and that would include the prison system and the uh, police departments and prosecutors. If you eliminated drug prosecution, that would reduce the prison population by 25%, it would, it would, and it would, uh, it would comp- very significantly dis- uh, reduce law enforcement activities and also the court activities, although they could then switch them into other items of priority, obviously. Well, and but all those, the, those places are, are extremely strained. I mean, the law enforcement is, they're so stretched out on the resources they have. If you could stop their focus on a lot of this stuff and, and focus it on, you know, go solve murders and rapes and the more violent offenses. Well, I, I think the that, whole system that's right. would I mean, We have now the largest prison population in the world. We have 4% of the uh, world population and we have 25% of the world prison population. We've got eight times more people per capita in prison in this country uh, than Germany, 13 times more than Japan, and five times more than Canada and uh, France per capita. And a lot of that has to do with drug prohibition and the way drug laws are enforced. Do you in think, country. though, if if you looked at the numbers of uh, and the resources of of all of these different countries, different prison systems, I, I feel like our system is more heavily 
financed. It's more reliant on that sort of system functioning than these other countries. I feel like the other countries have them there for the people that absolutely need to be there. But like when when people smoke pot, we're not like, oh man, I, I can't wait to break the law today. Or like when you speed, you're not speeding because you want to break the law. You're speeding because you feel like it's stupid to to get pulled over for going 75 when the speed limit's, you know, 65. Like it's I'm not hurting anybody. And I feel like people just they don't respect that. But back to the prison thing, I we're just too heavily reliant on running as many people through that system as we can. Well, I mean, we have a huge prison system now. And a lot of people make a lot of money. There's a interest in maintaining that from yep. a bureaucratic standpoint. Uh, but it's, a it's poor become, business model. It, it's become so bloated that in California recently, the court, the Supreme Court, ordered them to release uh, percentage of the prison population. They have 140,000 people in the state prison in California now. And they ordered them to release 35,000 prisoners. Wow. So going going back to this this whole article, do you feel like what like what what type of investigation would go on for this type of I don't know what you would call it an infraction? Is it against the rules having your own thoughts thoughts and opinions on this this thing? And is this something that you know the Border Patrol handbook says you're going to be found guilty of thinking this way or that way, and now you're terminated from your position? <laughs> It's frankly outrageous to think that that's so. Now, certainly you could say that somebody uh, in a position like that couldn't represent that they were speaking for their agency when they expressed their opinions. But this man was not doing that. Right. He was right. simply talking to a coworker about the fact that, geez, this Mexican drug cartel violence since 60% of their revenue comes from marijuana, if yep. marijuana was legalized, it would dramatically cut into this activity. Oh, absolutely. And he's absolutely right. Yeah. And so, so you know, oh, the, go ahead. Yeah, the fact of the matter is that what that person did was protected speech under the First Amendment. It should have been, absolutely. Uh, and, right. And instead of, instead of uh, firing a guy, we ought to be, uh, we, we, we should be, encouraging people to think through how we can approach these problems. And exactly. somebody like that, who actually has hands-on experience, as you said earlier, uh, probably has some insights that are uh, go beyond what the regular person in the public has about yep. some of these issues. Exactly. So after an investigation, a termination letter, like we, we mentioned, arrived, and it said that he held these, these views that were contrary to the core characteristics and you mentioned that you know those aren't even what what their their characteristics are or anything how can they i don't i don't see how they can function and and be in the public with one view and then hold their people internally to a different view and it, it like it would be different if Brian Gonzalez was in front of the news saying that we, the Border Patrol, think that this is stupid and that, you know, pot should be legalized and go leap. But it, like you say, he was he was just talking to a co-worker. And I feel like almost the, the co-worker 
is the one that went and ratted on him for some reason. Like they're going to get a little higher up the ladder by getting rid of this guy or something like that. And that, that seemed kind of weird as well. No, it's, it's, it's completely, completely backwards. In other words, people like that should be encouraged to critically analyze what they're doing and whether or not it's making sense and to have their views known up the ladder. And as, as you're saying, it's not like this man came out and tried to misrepresent that he was speaking for the organization. He right. was simply having a conversation with a co-worker. I mean, one of the things that you find in the war on drugs, drug prohibition, just like, again, with alcohol prohibition, what it has caused is incredible corruption. So that if you look at the... Uh, at the uh, you find out is that a lot of the dope ends up coming in because they're uh, the cartels and the corrupt uh, people that are in the position like Brian Gonzalez. Well, and why and to, why can they so easily do that? Are are they not paying their people enough, or is it just the human nature of being greedy and wanting they more? They can so than... easily do it because the at its core the regulations. In other words, it's again, it's just like with alcohol. People could rationalize not enforcing those laws because millions of people were breaking the law, including high government officials. During right. alcohol prohibition, U.S. presidents were consuming alcohol in the White House. And the same thing is true with, certainly with marijuana, where you have... It's very easy to rationalize, saying, "Well, I'm, you know, what the heck? What, what am I really doing that that's that's that bad?" If I uh, uh, look the other way when some marijuana gets smuggled into the country, and I get paid a huge sum of money by the smuggler to boot, so I'm not suggesting that that's good behavior. That's completely outrageous. Right, behavior. but the rationalization is much easier to make the the connection individually by by the person that's the one doing it. Right, and the corruption is an inevitable right. offshoot of this type of an approach, this type of a regulatory approach. And you're anybody that doesn't know that has got their head buried in the yep. sand. Uh, there's a case after case since the very right from the very beginning of criminal regulation uh, where that's happened. And, of course, it's going to continue to happen because money is uh, – there's so much money made in the illegal drug market uh, that it's a, obviously going to be a corrupting, a corrupting uh, uh, force. You know, you look at things like in near the, the – the uh, situations that had existed, for example, in New York City, where they un uprooted huge, massive, systemic corruption uh, in the police departments uh, at various times since drug prohibition has been uh, in effect, and you, you you understand this is this is part of what is going to be associated with trying to regulate these products, which there's a huge demand for. Uh, in the criminal arena. It's an inevitability. Right, and I know uh, a while ago was I think I believe it was Mayor Bloomberg. He had the the whole clean up New York thing, where he was trying to get all of these addicts and and people off the streets, and you know e either help them in in one way or another, or at least you know 
it, just trying to clean up the whole town's you know image and everything because they did have massive problems, people getting mugged all the time, and and it, a lot of it was these you know junkies trying to get their their next fix, and I I feel like he he kind of a lot of times the motive is for political gain and not so much that these people really do care really one way or another about the people that get you know cause caught up in this whole machine that that runs forward well no that's true i mean the the whole approach is is completely flawed you know most people that use drugs are not drug addicts uh, but drug addiction is certainly a major problem that needs to be addressed, but it's a health issue, and it is not ever, and never has been, never will be, uh, well-regulated within the criminal justice system. I mean, it's like you said in terms of addiction and withdrawal. I, I was watching, I was reading an article in the newspaper about a case in Texas where a, a football player uh, was... Uh, Jolly? While, while, jolly. Was it? Yep, yep. Yeah, while he's on probation for uh, codeine, he gets caught with some codeine pills, and he obviously had some kind of an addiction problem, and he's in court begging to be able to go into rehab, and instead they send him to the state prison for six years. Which rationally and logically rehab, rehabilitation, detox, and then a good program that would do that kid so much better than getting tossed in jail. Like that that's his right. life and over. It, it, that's it. Right. His life is over yeah. after that. You're not gonna get a job on any professional team after that. I don't I don't know. It that seems like you're just destroying lives with no regard for their humanity. And that's from a professional's right. point of view. If you have a younger individual that obtains a, a felony drug charge, when when they're released from a penitentiary or jail system, it's much more difficult for a layman to obtain any sort of uh, uh, career or anything like that because a lot of jobs won't hire a past felon. They don't want that uh, that you know that mentality associated with their business. You know, it's it's more Absolutely of a risk. Absolutely right. And so, no, as that's, a, a, that's correct. As I mean, a young, so it has a lifetime effect on people, uh, and there really isn't and never has been the kind of a strong consensus of why it is that you're uh, uh, turning this conduct into a felony. Uh, you know, if, if somebody were to uh, punch somebody in the nose, we, we all agree that's, that's conduct that violates the basic rule of you treat others the way you want to be treated. Right. And it's harmful, it hurts people, and there's a, a very strong uh, agreement among the, amongst the citizenry that that type of conduct should be punished. But when you look at possessing or using things like marijuana, there is no such consensus. In fact, uh, you know, it's so widely used by people that you'd have to say the consensus is the other way. And for that reason, to then turn around and, uh, and, uh, and impose criminal sanctions on people, again, it causes a complete undermining of respect for the rule of law. And that's a terrible uh, uh, collateral consequence of, uh, of uh, drug prohibition. Well, and that and can have far-reaching negative consequences and side effects. If once, once people stop 
not not so much fearing, but you know, believing in the law that governs the land, you have a complete societal breakdown eventually, and that's that's no good for anybody, well, politicians exactly or, right. or citizens. Exactly right. We don't have in, in our country. We have a great country, but we don't have a king, and we don't have a state religion. What we have is respect for the law. Although part of the law is you're able to criticize the law and change the law. Well, and that fosters discussion. If you don't discuss things, how does anything ever change? It does. It just stays the same, and we keep running uphill, you know, getting nowhere. That's exactly right. And there's example after example of where the conventional wisdom today is the utterly reputed ideology of of, uh, tomorrow and things like Jim Crow laws would be a perfect example of that those were accepted as perfectly legitimate things but there was always a group of people who said no this is all wrong you cannot discriminate against people you can't treat people disparately and that finally won the day and it won the legal system and now if somebody were to tout the idea that we should segregate people in schools and things like that they would be viewed as crazy people right but that was the norm you know 70 80 100 years ago right Uh, 70 80 100 years ago if you said that was wild-eyed radical yep so drug prohibition is all wrong the public is finally uh, waking up to the importance of the issue and the fact that what we're complete failure, and I believe that things are starting to change. And, you know, the, the, air, the issue of marijuana is one of them. But, you know, I mean, personally, my, my organization certainly agrees that there's a medical use for marijuana and that uh, medical marijuana should be absolutely allowed. Which is available to people. But I will tell you that I think that the better solution is to legalize marijuana completely, but to not allow any type of advertising. You know, I was recently in Colorado and I drove by a, a, a dispensary and there's a big sign out front. Uh, advertising the products and the prices, and I don't think that's right. Right, and, and I in, think that that's counterproductive to the idea of legalizing drugs because I think the sellers have to be understand that part of the responsibility is that it has to be done discreetly and in a way that is clearly seen as not trying to promote drug use. Right. I think the medical marijuana uh, industry has, on some level, uh, gone overboard and has allowed for people to uh, criticize them as not really uh, limiting what they're doing to medical use, but to other use. Well, sure, and we... on the show, we've made the we we make the the separation between use and abuse, and, and there's there's definitely you know legitimate uses for it, and there are I'm sure people all over the place abusing it, but you can't say that that's the fault of the marijuana. People abuse no. all sorts of stuff. If you drink enough water, you'll drown. I mean, it's it, it's right. not the water's fault. It, that's that's just silly. You know, you have to look at. Why is the person doing this in the first place? There's obviously something there 
that we can all learn and benefit from. But if you're just going to throw them in jail, that that doesn't help anybody except the guy that owns the jail. Absolutely. I think and I think with marijuana the solution is legalizing it and regulating it in a way that you don't promote it, but adults can go and get legal access to the products, whether they're using it for medicinal purposes or whatever other purpose. And again, I'm not saying that to encourage anyone to uh, to uh, use drugs or to get addicted to drugs, but the fact is, the reality is, People do use the drugs. People apparently like them, and they uh, are wildly available now. It's hard to figure how you could uh, make them less available than they are right now. Uh, but by taking them out of the criminal arena and regulating them as a public health issue, you would completely eliminate the black market. It would end all of this violence that you're seeing now in Mexico, right. and it would be a much more effective way to regulate the products. And then they could focus their time and resources and manpower on real, actual problems. And That's correct. B- before, we, before we let you go here and wrap up the show, uh, we have a... Kind of an ongoing debate discussion of sorts amongst us, myself and Ian, and some of our listeners. Uh, and it's, it's basically the decriminalization versus full legalization argument. And we, we know where LEAP stands. We were curious where you personally, uh, in, in the, the different jobs that you've held and different sides of the fences that you've seen, where you... What do you think about that? Is decriminalization better or legalization? How do you feel about that? Well, all right. You know, I agree with the position that LEAP takes. Personally, I think it's correct, and that is that legalization is necessary, and the reason is that the collateral consequence of criminalization, namely uh, the black market, is not going to be eliminated if you simply decriminalize possession of the product, you're still going to have this massive black market that will be supplying the products. And the only way to eliminate that black market, just as in the case with alcohol prohibition, is to legalize the products and allow them to be, in a regulated way, uh, legally made legally available to a consumer, an adult consumer. Uh, so I'm absolutely in favor, not just of decriminalization, but of full legalization of these products so that you eliminate the black market. That's one of the most important things that I think uh, needs to be done, and that certainly dovetails exactly with what uh, the position of law enforcement against prohibition is. We want to end this drug violence, and the only way to do that is to make the products legally available in a regulated way. Um, okay, so the black market is a business of buying or selling goods or currency in violation of restrictions um, such as price controls, rationing, or the law. And so if it was decriminalized, like the the term black market, the the dictionary definition may not apply. It would just be a market at that point. Well, Correct. I and mean, so I guess I, is where well, I'm no, going I mean, with it, this. In other words, it, like in Massachusetts, marijuana possession is decriminalized, but you can't legally purchase marijuana. So all of the 
uh, of commerce in marijuana is still a criminal. Uh, so there's enterprise. there's no benefit to the the city or the people from those purchases. No taxes, <clears throat> nothing like that. Then, right? If the person who sells it is still committing a crime, and uh, there's no legal uh, avenue to purchase the product. So and the and is that because of, that's what I'm talking about? That's because of the way the law was written in Massachusetts decriminalizing the substance of cannabis. It was if, like the tax stamp. If it thing, was right. decriminalized to sell it or to do you see what I'm saying? And I understand about the taxes. I guess I don't I'm not uh, a savant about that particular subject. Um I guess is where I was well, going. Well, I mean, with... it, now we're getting into semantics. Right, Because right. if you can legally sell it and purchase it and possess it, then it's legalized. That's legal, right. Uh, right. And if you if on the other hand you can possess it without uh, being subject to a criminal prosecution, but by selling it, you're still subject to it. That's, that's a form of limited decriminalization, and that's similar, by the way, to what they have in Portugal with all drugs. You can, the possessor is not subject to criminal prosecution, but the seller still is. And that is certainly, let me just say this, it's a hell of a lot better than what we have right now, but of prosecuting people for simply possessing or using these things is totally counterproductive. But the decriminalization of possession does not eliminate the black market that is, uh, that is, uh, making all of these huge sums of money selling and meeting the consumer demand for the product. So how does that, that how does that work? It, the if if I have intent to go sell marijuana, I'm legal or I'm not 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 legal, but I'm I'm not a criminal having it. But the second I go to make that transaction, that's when it becomes so it's well, yeah, actually no, the involvement no, in Massachusetts, of money. If you had an ounce of marijuana for your own use, that's not you can only be given a ticket. For so that. it's intent of use then. Right, but if, if you I turned around any... and sold a quarter ounce of that to some uh, to an undercover police officer, you could right. be arrested for distribu- distributing uh Drugs. So if so, it's in like different baggies and weighed out in different the yeah, stuff like that, they kind of right, they right. take that That's into factual co- consideration. What you're actually doing with it. So, I see. Uh, you know, but the point is that in in my view and in the view of the organization that I think is performing a very important mission. Absolutely. Uh, legalization is really uh, the only way to solve the problem of eliminating the black market. And again, the al- the alcohol prohibition example is right on point. As soon as prohibition was repealed, Al Capone and all of the rackets that were making billions off of illegal alcohol were put out of business immediately. And that's right. the exact same thing that would happen if you legalized uh, what are now these what, criminal uh, drug products? What do you think? It, what do you think the perception of medical marijuana would be if we were to legalize it recreationally? Do you think that that would discredit the movement that has been put forth about medical cannabis, or I would think it look that, that, that would become irrelevant in the sense that you wouldn't need to? Uh, have limited legalization, you'd have it available to anybody that wanted it. You know, 
again, let's look at the example of alcohol. People used to use that for medicinal purposes, and when alcohol prohibition was enacted, there was an exception for for prescription alcohol, and all of a sudden everybody was sick. And the the amount of uh, alcohol being sold at pharmacies increased by a hundredfold. So, you know, there wouldn't be a need for medical marijuana if marijuana was a legal product. And just because it's it's in certain people still aren't going to use it to treat legitimate medical ailments. You just don't Absolutely have to correct. go through the yeah, hoops. They of, wouldn't have it. There wouldn't there'd be no restriction. They'd right. have nobody hassling them. They wouldn't have to meet any criteria. And they wouldn't even need a doctor's prescription. It would be like aspirin. If you think it's going to help you with a headache, you go ahead and take some. Uh, because we're all apply. we're all adults here, and we know that's our bodies correct. better than anyone. Hopefully, and that's and right. That that's right. It should be up to us. And as long I mean, as what we're doing, use alcohol to remove stress from the workday. I right. mean, is that an illegitimate thing? I don't think it is. And some people use they don't it need to... a doctor's prescription to do it. Right, and some people uh, so, use it to rationalize poor decisions. I mean, it, it's all up to the individual. It's neither the alcohol's fault nor the bartender's fault. You know, in the end, it's, it's up to the you individual, know, and that's our great country. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, John, it's it's definitely have to well, do listen. this again sometime. We're or we're about at the end of our hour here. Did you have anything in closing you wanted to to get out there to the, to the people that listen to the Hotbox podcast? Well, the only thing I would say is in closing is this. It's an important issue, and people should do something about it. Talk to people. Talk to their legislators. And as Frederick Douglass said, agitate. Don't just sit back. Become active. This is not an insignificant issue. It's very, very important. It's not on the radar screen, but it should be. And people are way ahead of the politicians on this issue, and we need to stay there and move the political process in the right direction by talking, educating, and agitating, and letting people know that this is really important and we need to do something to change this completely failed uh, policy. Absolutely. Well, John, uh, Ian, did you have anything else you wanted to ask John while we no, got No, I appreciate on? you being on our show, though. It's um, been very informative. Yeah, I no, appreciate well, listen, you. thank you very much for uh, having me. I really appreciated having the opportunity to talk about what I think is a very, very important issue. Yeah, we, we, we as well. We do this show every week and just kind of... <laughs> Keep everyone up to speed and, and motivated and, and educated, and it's great. We, we treasure the, the chances that we have to speak with people like you that have, that have been in this from the side of, uh, of you know, prosecutor and, and defense and, and everything. It's great to get that side. You know, we're, we're kind of stuck in our own bubble here of sorts that we keep on, you know, spinning the same stuff. And when we can get an outside view, we, we really it, – it's a great, great conversation, so – well, keep up the good work, fellas. Absolutely. Uh, and I really appreciate you having me on. And next time there's a, there's a piece like this, or if you have any anything else you, you'd want to have uh, on the show, we'll definitely have you back on. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, John. Have a good night. All right. Yep. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. All right. John Amibly, former assistant attorney general, Brockton, Massachusetts. Good stuff. Member of LEAP. 
It's a good conversation. I, I kind of did. Did he change your mind at all on, on the decriminalization, legalization thing? Well, I didn't ever think about the black market aspect about it being yeah, decriminalized, me. but I still think that decriminalization is like a step towards legalization. Like I think that there needs. So to you're be, saying baby steps? We can't well, right. just go from you know you illegal can't. It's to like fully like let's party. Right. You know right. you can't plant. You can't start making a budget of your lottery winnings before you've even bought a ticket. You know, True. like there's yeah, yeah. there's there's some steps to take. Before you get there And I think that He did have a good point though Yeah absolutely If it's still going to be illegal to sell And I understand that It's the the marijuana tax stamp thing You can have it But good luck getting it Right And that's shady But yeah Yeah Now I saw some questions in the chat Did did you pretty much get all that answered And is that anything you want to talk about on the show Or maybe something you want to say for next week About uh, particular strains for migraines or, Or anything like that Or did you um, pretty much get that all handled? Uh, yeah, I think I gave okay. her a few good suggestions. Well, maybe people... We can focus on that next week. We can sure, have a little section about like what what effects um, differently. But she does ask, what's the main interest in vaporizing besides a clean inhale? A big high, a heady high, a couch lock Not high. Not blowing out massive amounts of smoke that's going to smell up the place? Yeah, um... If you well, I think smoke I think that obviously vaporizing cannabis provides you with a different cerebral effect and True. physical effect than smoking it with a traditional flame which or through is a glass pipe. Than eating it, which is different than. I think that uh, the first thing you'll notice through vaporization is that it takes a few minutes for your effects to onset, whereas smoking them or combusting it with a flame, the effects are much more immediate. Right. Also, with a vaporizer, uh, it's a, it's a much more functional. Uh, uh, high, I guess you could say. So I think that uh, w- by using a vaporizer, it, not necessarily more clear-headed. I'm just going to say more functional. Um, it more of a clean type high. It can last longer as well. Um, you're going to reduce your intake of CBNs and CBDs uh, through the use of a vaporizer. Um, CBNs and CBDs are the chemicals that provide that lethargic effect or your couch lock high. It's not that you're not getting any of that, but you are reducing your intake of those two chemicals, and so it's going to provide mostly a sativa-dominant so type you would effect. Then almost, you would want to recommend if you're tr- using the strain particularly for treating seizures with the CBD maybe not to vaporize it and maybe to well, ingest if you're, it by if, eating it exactly or like if that. you're if you're using cannabis That's to treat something very specific like seizures or where you're after those CBNs and CBDs the edible options are going to be your best option. And so that's what I was saying about, um, you know, cannabis being such a personal, uh, uh, medication. And as a, uh, as an individual using cannabis in a therapeutic manner, I think that it should be really empowering for you as an individual to not only learn about this plant, but learn something about the way your body reacts to the different methods of ingestion, um, of inhaling, of different strains. You know, I, I encourage people patients to keep kind of like a, a cannabis diary, you know, write Absolutely. down the strain, strain name and then, you know, after consumption, writing down the effects that you feel while under the influence of that particular strain. Because it's, I mean, I don't remember what I felt like to, to use love potion or to, yeah, to right. you know, I don't remember. But it's cool too. It's like a march down your memory. It's like, exactly. And the, then you can, and then neat. you can, um, you, you know, you can better reference to see what worked best for you yep. or what strains did particularly things for you like you know the strain a you know was really good for pain but god it made me hungry and i didn't really like that strain b got rid of my pain
pain. I wasn't tired, but you know, so you can really kind of regulate those different things. Um, and so using, using, um, you know, some sort of, of, of record keeping, um, to keep track of what works best for you and what doesn't work best. I think, I think is a really good idea if you're really interested in it. Um, there are also subtle effects of different kinds of cannabis that you just don't really think about after you're not under the influence of that particular strain. And so, you know, taking, if if you look on sites, like uh, I think deoxy does it, arrowid.org does it. There's these things called trip reports. And I think that's a really good template to follow. If you're going to do something like this, you know, excuse me, eight o'clock, this many, this much grams, this many grams, however you say it, and here's how it was ingested. This, here's my body weight, all of that stuff. And then, you know, eight o'clock and do it each hour if you can pay attention to something like that. Not everyone can do that, right? Especially when you're smoking. But if you right. can, it makes for really super useful data to analyze it, especially when you start getting a bunch of it from Absolutely. a bunch of different people. I, I think that's it's a really good resource for everyone. I also think that you know the three methods of cannabis use: ingestion, um, smoking, and vaporizing. I think that uh, some individuals or a lot of in- individuals are using cannabis for more than one thing. You know, I think innately cannabis is a stress reliever. And so if you are using cannabis just to relieve stress, you know, you might find using a vaporizer and a particular strain works best for that. But then if you're having a a painful day or if you're having trouble, uh, you know, with an appetite or you're, you know, if you're having trouble with your appetite, maybe smoking and a different strain works better for you as an individual. Or if, you know, like with the migraines thing, you'll probably find that a a glycerin tincture is going to be not only very functional, but it's going to handle your migraine better than smoking or vaporizing well. not to mention how terrible is it to have a migraine and have to cough. Oh yeah, that's the I mean, worst. That's, it, or like, how is that sick, supposed to help? You, if you catch yeah. a cold, like I always quit smoking cigarettes. The the random times I, I get sick like that, and it's yeah. But I, I always want to smoke pot because I know it'll make me feel so much better. But it's that initial. Just got to tough it out, you know. And it's not mm-hmm. not everyone can do that. It, it's mm-hmm. it's good to have different ways of ingestion at, at your your beck and call. For different reasons. Exactly. So I think it's really just a, a personal preference. It's thing. all relative. Right. Einstein taught us nothing. It was uh, the one thing is it's it's all relative. So. All right. Well, anything else? I think th- those uh, those are good show. I'm good. Episode 101. That that really was. That was Hotbox 101. That That's right. That's the essence of what this show is right. all about. So uh, catch us every Saturday, uh, usually around 6 p.m. Pacific, t- uh, 6, 7, 8, 9 Eastern, <laughs> something like that. You do the math. Figure it out. It's uh, usually around 7 o'clock, Saturday night. 7.30 our time, Saturday, Saturday night. night. Hotboxpodcast.com slash live. You can join our forum discussions uh, during the week when we're not doing shows. You know, if you guys have questions. You can always post them in there, and we, we'll, we'll talk to everyone. Facebook.com slash hotboxpodcast. And just search. Google it. <laughs> Dude, just Google it. Hotbox Podcast. Google it. You'll find it. Uh, email info at hotboxpodcast.com and leave a message for the show, 406-204-4687. Make sure you're subscribed in iTunes and give us a rating and a review. Why? Because that's what you do when you get 101 episodes for free. You go and you subscribe and you write a five-star review and you say thank you for not making me listen because I swear I can't. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next Saturday. Bye-bye. 
If you like, you like weed, where where you need to be. Thank you for listening to the Hot Box Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Hot Box Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Hot Box Podcast.